So take your Bible and turn with me, if you would, to Ephesians chapter number 6. Ephesians chapter 6. In Ephesians chapter 6, we find a passage of Scripture that outlines certain truths. And these uh, outlines that are given in Ephesians 6, they talk about spiritual warfare. And I know that makes some people nervous. They don't want to talk about that. They think we're Baptists and we shouldn't talk about spiritual warfare. Well, if we shouldn't talk about it, God shouldn't put it in the Bible. Because we're Bible people and we believe the book. And Ephesians chapter 6 talks about when you meet together for a community meeting, when you meet together to pray, and Pleasant Hill, I hate to tell you this, but the weight of this meeting is going to be on your shoulders because it's your home territory. It's your ground. It's your people. Now, all of us have rallied in here to help you, but you've got to remember we're all praying one for another. Pastor Winston's going to lead our opening prayer in just a moment, but I want to read this verse while he's coming to the platform. In Ephesians 6.10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of what? His might. You've got to get out of our strength. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be what? Able to stand. And then against the wiles of the devil. And that word wiles means tricks, snares. Verse 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Pastor, come and lead us in prayer. Let's pray. Holy Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, it's our privilege to come back into your presence tonight. And God, we're thankful to be a part of the family of God tonight. And Lord, I'm thankful for our heritage, Lord, here in these mountains in western North Carolina, something that we can be proud of. God, these old gospel tents and how many people you've saved under them and the men you've called to preach under them. And God, the churches that you've sent revival to under a tent. Lord, what a precious moment. Lord, that you've given us in 2023. God, I'm so thankful for this church. God, thank you for Pastor Keith and his heart, his vision. And Lord, tonight as we gather, Lord, I pray that you'd give the preacher liberty. God, I pray that from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet, that God, you anoint him in the full calling of what you've called him to do, in the full power of that calling, God. Yes, God. Lord, that you'd give him wisdom. God, give him the words. Lord, give him strength and body, clarity of mind. God, I pray that you'd bind distraction in this place. And God, that His words, Lord, would be the words You'd have Him to speak. Help us to pay attention to what the Holy Ghost has for each and every one of us. Bless Pleasant Hill Baptist Church. We once again dedicate this meeting to You. We lay it at Your feet and we ask You to bless it. It's in Jesus' name the church prays. Amen. Amen and amen. Ephesians 6.12. It mentions four things. And if you're making notes or you're writing in the margin of your Bible, notice this foundation. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. What we're up against as a nation, what we're up against as communities, as school boards, as PTA associations, as Moms for America, as Christians that love God, men and women that are working with teenagers and young adults, 
volunteers in vacation Bible school, teachers of Sunday school, deacons, choir members, people that go to church, you're wrestling stuff you can't see. It's one thing if you could grab a hold of it and wrestle with it, but you can't. It's not flesh and blood. So what am I up against? Number one, principalities. And if you'll notice after principalities, there is a comma. And then what does it say? Against powers. So whatever principalities may be, it's totally different from powers. Principalities is one battle, one element of spiritual warfare. But then there's a comma, and then the next one is this thing of powers. Powers that we cannot put our hands on. Number three, then it talks about, there's another comma after powers, the rulers of darkness of what? This world. You say, well, I thought God the Father was the creator. Oh, he is. And Jesus is the one that spoke the earth into existence. But you've got to remember there was sin, Lucifer sin, and he was cast out of heaven. And where did he end up? On planet earth. And, and if you don't think I'm right, then how did the, the serpent get in the garden? Garden's paradise. So how did that serpent get there? He was already here. Amen. And so you've got to remember, this makes us pilgrims. This isn't home. We're passing through. This isn't our place. We're headed to our house. But we're going through the devil's backyard on the way to get there. Say amen right there. And so we've got to have the power of God on our lives. Now watch what happens. And then it says, against spiritual wickedness where? High places. And that's something that you cannot put your hands on. We don't know why on earth America would turn its back on God. We don't know why they would deny the founding fathers and their faith. We don't know why that we'd go through a period of time in this country that we would tear down monuments and memorials and statues because they had Bible verses on them. We don't understand why in a modern day like 2020 that they would gather in Seattle and in Portland and take Bibles and put them in the street and pour kerosene on them and set them on fire. That doesn't sound like the America that I know, but you're up against another battle. So now you have separated yourself from the religious world, a form of godliness, not everything that says, Lord, Lord's going to heaven. And so now you're saying, God, would you help us break out of the rut of religion? We don't want religion. We want a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And God, would you sober us and separate us? You've been meeting out here for a couple of weeks saying, God, we want you to move. We want you to provide for us and to send revival. Now, if you understand there's a war, and you understand there's a battle raging, then how on earth do we approach the warfare? Well, we have a Bible verse that we have used for decades. We've actually used it for 100 years or more in revivals and crusades all across Europe, all across America, South America, even in Africa. And that passage of Scripture that I've used on billboards, I put it on flyers, I put it on the side of tractors and trailers. Second Chronicles chapter 7 and verses 12, 13, and 14. And this morning, Pastor, you drove right into verse 14 
and just started preaching your heart out on what it says. Now look what verse 14 says, in case you were at another church. Verse 14 says, My people, and by the way, notice if you have a red letter Bible, you'll notice that the, the print's all black till you get up here to verse number 12. And then you get to verse number 12, and that print turns to red. Verse 13's red. Verse 14's red. What does that mean? That means that's out of the mouth of God. Right? So God's speaking. And he says in 14, if, that's a qualifier, and then notice it's capitalized. My people, which are called by what? My name. Shall do what? Humble. Now, right there is the hardest thing for any Christian that's honest with themselves to say, I'm going to get humble. Because a fellow can be preaching, someone can be teaching the Word of God, the choir can be singing, and you can start looking around and saying, boy, I wish Bill was here, that's just for him. I wish Mary's here, buddy. That, uh, that's cutting right close to the corn where she lives, I'm telling you. And, but that's not what God's talking about. He's saying, if my people, he's talking about me, he's talking about you. And, and he's saying, which are called by my name shall humble themselves. Now notice what we have to do. Number one, after we get humble. Number two, we have to pray. All right? And I think that's one thing that God settled in our heart in Korea, that we were humbled by the fact that these people would get up at, at 4 o'clock in the morning to be at church at 5 o'clock in the morning and then go to work at 6 o'clock in the morning after they had prayed all that time and saying, God, and I don't mean they were just reciting prayers. I mean, they were stretched out on the floor. You opened the door, you thought there was a woman in labor. They were moaning and groaning before God, tears running off their cheek. And remember that second morning where we had 3,000 at the 5 o'clock prayer meeting? And I went to that pastor and I said, what drives them here? What are they so burdened over? And he said, well, the number one thing they're praying for is America because they think America's left the God that made her great. Praying for us. Boy, that humbled me. Yeah. And look what he said. Then he said, humble, number two, pray. Then number three, seek my face. All this week, what you're asking God to do is to allow you the privilege of seeking his face. God, we're here. We're doing all that we know to do. We're being honest with you, God. We're revealing our hearts and our minds. And God, we're going to seek your face. But now comes the hard part. One, humble. Two, pray. Three, seek. But look at four. Four says, turn. Turn. And what's he saying? He's saying that every one of us, each and every believer that's here tonight, God may, when we begin to pray and draw nigh to him, and he draws nigh to us, that we may begin to see the hand of God in our life. That we say, you know, God, I want you to deal with me about this. God, I want you to deal with me about that in my life as God begins to reveal it. All right? So now leave there and go back in the Old Testament to Joshua chapter 7. Joshua chapter 7. So we've started out spiritual warfare, right? And then how are we going to fight the battle? Well, we've got to have the equipment to fight the battle. And that's Second Chronicles 7. 14, 
and we are looking at verses 12, 13, and 14. So now, the last part of that verse was that part that I have to repent. I have to turn. I have to ask God to help me. There's a term that we used to use in church that uh, makes a lot of people nervous, but it was the word sanctification, or to be sanctified, or to be... And I'm not talking about a second work of grace. My goodness. Whoever heard of grace just working two times? I'm wearing out grace. I'm on 532 million graces. I get grace every day. I wake up, that's grace. If you wake up and suck air in your lungs, is that not grace? That's grace, amen? And, and, and you know, to get something to eat, that's grace. And, and get something to that's grace. And to find out Sonic's got the foot-long hot dog on sale, that's grace. <laughs> Till about midnight, then it's mercy, oh God. <laughs> right? I mean, is that not us? Right? But, but here's, here's what God's dealing with me about. Because uh, I, told, I told Pastor Winston that I was blessed to have three men in my life that reminded me of the Godhead, that mentored me, that helped me. I was a young businessman when God called me to preach. I was 27 years old. I owned Asheville Vending Company. I'd made enough money in the car business. I bought my own business. And uh, I was in the uh, vending business. I went to Chicago, Illinois to a trade show when God broke my heart and called me to preach. You know? And, and so... When I got this settled that I was going to preach and God had, had broken my heart all that night and all the next morning as, as I agonized before the Lord and surrendered and gave up myself and gave up what I wanted, the material things of this world, the toys and the trinkets. Musette and I would get up on Saturday morning and we'd, we'd go to decide where we wanted to eat lunch, what city, what state. We hardly ever missed a, a home game for Alabama. Watch Bear Bryant walk out there in that old checkered hat and watch a ball game or we'd go to Atlanta or, you know, because you got the toys and the money and, uh, and you think that's what you want. But it doesn't fill this up in here. You understand that? You, I mean, you, you can have so much money that your hands get tired of counting it, but that's not going to help you when you go to bed at night. I, I can give you a million dollars in a briefcase and I can fly you out to Las Vegas and put you in a penthouse and you can gamble all night, you can party all night, you can drink all night, you can satisfy all the lust of your flesh. Now you're going 18 hours, now 20 hours, now you're 24 hours on your feet, 30 hours, still partying, and finally you get so tired, you say, just get me up to the penthouse and you just fall across the bed with your million-dollar briefcase. And there'll be a big old hole right here. Because you can't fill it up. You can't party it and patch it. Only God can do that. And once you get saved and once you get born again, listen to me carefully, there's no greater feeling in the earth that you can have when you finally get it settled. I belong to you. I am your child. And God, you do in my life what you want to do. I give you everything. I set it all aside. I become a vessel of clay in your hand. And when you begin to get to that point, then what happens? Well, in my life, 
I had that happen. Uh, Dr. James Alexander Stewart was a benefactor and a friend and a mentor, and he loved me. And he, uh, Musette and I got married, and we didn't have a place to live. We, uh, we just were living on love. Our, our first family car was a Kawasaki 750 motorcycle <laughs> that I rode to work and rode home. And sometimes she rode on the back when she was prayed up. And, uh, and so, but, but, but you know, uh, uh, Dr. Stewart called me one day and he, and he said, Ralph, he said, my beloved son, he said, uh, Ruth and I must return to Scotland to preach the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, would you do me the honor of staying in my home while I'm overseas? Would I? <laughs> ah, three stories, colonial steps spiraling up the inside, massive European library, the whole top floor. And boy, we moved in that home. And we took care of it. He and Ruth go to Scotland. My dad, he always reminded me of Jesus. He's so soft and easy and kind and loved, loved everybody. He loved bad people. I mean, he's just like Jesus. He loved bad people. I'd be reaching for a baseball bat, and he'd say, son, let's love them. Just... <laughs> and, and, and Dr. James, Dr. Kanoi, Dr. Billy Kanoi, he, he reminded me of God the Father. Gruff, hard. This is the book, son. This is what the Bible says. Have you studied that? Have you outlined that? I'd get saved two or three times just him talking to me. I mean, he's just stern in the book. And, 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 but now I'm living with the Holy Ghost. I'm in Dr. Stewart's house, and I'm backslid. Oh, Lord, I, I, I mean, I, I'm saved, but I'm living for Ralph. Are you with me? Don't get mad at me just because I'm telling the truth. Uh, hey, uh, I was living for Ralph. Yeah. And the baby would wake up, and I'd say, Musette, you, you go back to sleep. I'm a bit of a night owl anyway. And I said, I, I'll feed her this bottle. And I'd take Beverly, and I'd feed her that bottle, and then I'd lay her down and pat her, and she'd go to sleep. Now I'm wide awake. And I walked down to that big library. I love books, old books. I'd sit there at Dr. Stewart's desk, and... I'd open up this drawer, and here's a folder. And on the, on the cover, it says, Come Old Breath. And I open that folder up, and it says, Handwritten Manuscript for His Book on the Holy Ghost. Being filled. Surrendering self. Humbling. Getting right with God. <laughs> and I'd start reading that, and I'd get such oh, terrible conviction. Because I knew, I knew that wasn't me. And then I'd see his handwriting. He always wrote very small, almost like an architect. Very, very neat handwriting. And then he would get blessed, and all of a sudden his letters would get a little bigger. And then they'd get a little bigger. And then he'd, and to the glory of God, and the people would get big. And, they, and then you'd look, and there's tear stains all over that thing where he is weeping and crying as God blessed him. Now I remember trying to get away from that trying to get away from that, that dealing of, of the sweet Holy Spirit. But guess what, ladies and gentlemen? 
until you can get to that point in your Christian life. We, we're going to have all kinds of lost people come in this week. People are going to bring loved ones. You're going to have people come just because you got a tent. Like, what is that all about? They're going to show up, and they're going to be here, and they're not going to know Jesus. But what you've got to say is, God, I want to be clean as I can be. I don't want to be a hindrance. I don't want to be a burden. God, I want you to set me aside. That's what that word sanctify means. Now, look at Joshua 7 and verse 13. Joshua 7, 13. And look what the book says. It says, Sanctify the people and say, and this is red letters again, this is God talking, Sanctify yourselves against tomorrow. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, There is an accursed thing in the midst of thee. Isn't that interesting? An accursed thing. Now, here, here's what fascinates me with this study. He said an accursed thing. That's generic. It could be anything. A cursed thing. But we know when we read on in this chapter, it's not just anything. God's got the name, address, zip code, area code. He's describing what it is, what it's all about. And it is defined. It is illustrated. No doubt what God was talking about. But before we get to there, he calls it an accursed thing. Why did he do that? Well, let's read on to why he did that. He said, sanctify yourself. There's an accursed thing in the midst of thee. And then there's a comma, O Israel. And he said, you're not going to stand against the spiritual warfare, in this case physical warfare, that before your enemies, until ye take away the accursed thing. There it is again from you. Now, this is talking about a physical battle. This is Jericho and Ai. And, and, and sometimes we can get, they got puffed up and thought we were big and bad when we did Jericho. The walls came tumbling down and they didn't pray and they didn't prepare and they didn't send the men there to get ready. So guess what happened? When they went up to Ai in the flesh, 36 men lost their life. They died. And, and this is what he's saying. He said, if you want to see God move again, he said, in the morning, therefore, verse 14, he said, ye shall be brought according to your tribe. And it shall be that the tribe which the Lord taketh shall come according to the families thereof. And the family which the Lord shall take shall come by the households. And the households which the Lord shall take shall come man by man. You say, Brother Ralph, what on earth does that mean? Well, it means there's 12 tribes in Israel. And it means when one of those tribes, God knows where the accursed thing is. And He knows what's hindering the meeting. He knows what's hindering the power. He knows what's stopping the move. And He said, you, you bring them by, and you bring them by. And He said, and let them give an account in front of me, in front of the presence of God, the Shekinah glory. He said, you bring them by. So what's he going to do? He's going to bring the tribes by. And then the, one of the tribes is going to be the, the target area and saying the problem may be in this tribe. And then he'll bring them by in the families that will be inside of there, inside of, that, inside of that one tribe. And, and what does it talk about, the families? Well, 
let's say that he's talking about the Sexton family. And there's Ralph Sexton Sr. And then there's my sister, Becky. And then there's me. Well, then from the Sexton family, now there's two families coming down from there. So he said, well, it may be in one branch of this family. So now he's going down to the family level. He's going, it's not my grandfather, it's not my great-grandfather, it's not the Sexton clan. So now he's down to my dad's clan. Now he's down to the family, my father. And now, and then now he's down to my father's children, which is my sister and me. And now he's coming on down, and there's my three children, and there's my grandchildren, and there's my sister's children and her grandchildren. You follow me? And so he's, he's just coming right on down. So I'm going tribes, I'm going families, I'm going household, the family. And then all of a sudden he stops and says, well, this, this one household, let's go to knock on Ralph's door. You, you see what I'm talking about? He started out big, he got the tribes, and then he comes on down and he goes to the families, the clans, and then he goes from the clans to the households, and then, then he comes on down. Well, it's not Charles Sexton, my grandfather. It's not Ralph Sexton Sr., my father. Well, it's not Ralph Sexton, but it's in my family. You see what I'm saying? Then he's coming right on down. Now watch what happens here. Then he says, I'll bring it down to the household level according to the families thereof, and the family which the Lord shall take shall come by household. And then when he gets down to there, then he guess what he said. Then I want that family to come by. The men and the women, man by man, come by. Are you the one? Are you the one? Are you the one? We still don't know what it is, do we? Has he said what it is? He said it's an accursed thing. And, and he's pointing it out. And, and so, uh, to save time, it says in verse 17, And he brought the family of Judah, there he is taking it, and he took the family of the Zerahites, and he brought the family of the Zerahites man by man. And then look what he did. And then he goes to verse 18, he takes the household of Achan. And then in verse number 20, And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. And thus, and thus have I done. Ladies and gentlemen, we still have no description. A cursed thing, a cursed thing, thus and thus have I done. You know why God did that? Because every one of us can be aching. Every one of us. He, he's saying, you fill in the blank, the cursed thing. You fill in the thus and thus. Uh, do, you, do you have a root of bitterness in your heart and life? Do you have jealousy in your life? Have, have you got prayerlessness in your life? Is somebody else doing your tithing? Is somebody else paying the freight at the local church? He, he's saying, he's talking to the family. He's not talking to the heathens. He's talking to the children of Israel. And if you want revival, it's got to begin at God's house with God's people. It's got to begin right in here where it hurts. And that's close to where we are. The accursed thing. The accursed thing. Thus and thus. He knows who's gossiping. He knows who's spreading rumors. And you want revival? And, and listen, lost people come in here 
And they heard you at work. They heard you talking, being critical of the pastor, being critical of another church. And you think God is going to bless you? You think God's going to send revival when you've got the accursed thing hidden in your heart? You've got thus and thus under your bed. You've got the secret sin. You think God doesn't know your website? You think God doesn't know what's on your text? You think God doesn't know about your Instagram? He knows. But he's but Brother Ralph, this is revival. Yeah. But before we can get there, we gotta deal with us. We gotta deal with us. And God's not gonna feel garbage cans. God's not gonna feel us when we're filled with the things of this world. And God said, if you want to see genuine revival, you want to see a revival, an unbelievable move of God, then you start seeing God's people get right. God's people making restitution. God's people going right with God. You know when the revival broke out in Kannapolis, North Carolina? Under that old gospel tent? Listen, Percy Ray preached the first week. I preached the second week. It broke out. And, and during that second week, I was up preaching on, and you know who had been there that day? You know who had come by to pray for us, be with us that day? James Alexander Stewart. He got out of his car. He came around. And you know what he told me? He said, Brother Ralph, I don't feel well. I don't feel well, son. I said, I'm sorry, Doc. I said, sit down, I'll get you a glass of water or something. He said, let me go behind the arbor. Behind the back, this is a big brush arbor building. And they went around there. And I went around back, and, and he was sick of his stomach. And I put my arm around him. And I said, Doc, is it something you ate? Something make you sick? He said, oh, my, oh, son. He said, oh, my soul, son. Oh, my soul. It's not what I ate. He said, it's God's people living half-hearted. It's God's people. Ricky, he was crying. He said, they've lost their tears. They've lost their burden. He said, God's men, there's no brokenness out there. They're just coming so their preacher friend and say, I was there for you. You came from my meeting. I came for your meeting. And he said, but there's no desperation. And he fell down and began to pray. Well, buddy, when I got up to preach that night, I, it's like I was in another world. I mean, he's still back there praying. And, and God was still moving. And the next thing I know, all of a sudden, in the, in the service, God was moving. Folks are getting right with God. Folks is going to the altar. And all of a sudden, one of the key pastors in that community, he jumped up, ran out of the tent, and he was out of the arbor, and he ran and got in his car, and he kept going, Oh my God, have mercy. Oh my God, have mercy. Oh my God, have mercy. God, remember, it's for cell phones. And he jumped in his car, went to the little country store right down the road, got on the telephone, and he called a preacher in another state. And he said, would you please forgive me for talking about you? I've been talking about you. I was jealous of how many meetings you were getting. I was jealous of how God was using you. And I began to talk about you and gossip on you and say you was in it for the money. 
And God convicted me, told me tonight, He'll never bless me again. He'll never preach me again. He'll never see me under the anointing again because it's been revealed. I've got an accursed thing in my heart. I've got a thus and thus in my life. And nobody but God knew that. And tonight God pulled it out from under me. And God revealed it. And He said, I'm begging you to forgive me so I can preach one more time that the power of God can rest upon me. Boy, that old boy forgave him. He got so excited he come driving back up to the arbor, left the lights on, almost drove in the arbor, left the lights on, engine running, started shouting, it's under the blood, it's under the blood, I'm forgiven. And he plowed into the altar and that night, 30 some preachers got right with God and they began to hug Nick's and say, I'm sorry, I've been talking about you down at Shoney's. I've been gossiping on you. I'd rather have God than to have popularity or the pleasures of men. Ladies and gentlemen, that same God is still available. He's still on the throne. He's still answering prayer. He's still doing business in another world. The problem is not God. The problem is my own wicked heart. The heart of unbelief. Oh, that God would have mercy on our pride and on our lives. He knows the accursed thing. He knows the dust and dust. Before we ever get to the description of the secret sin, God said, I'll tell you. What you know is living in your heart. You want to see revival? Then he said, listen to this. I'll do the tribe, I'll do the family, I'll do the, the household, and then I'll do man by man. Ladies and gentlemen, we can still have revival. We can still see God do miraculous. We can still see people get saved. We can still see extended meetings. But it has to begin in some man. It has to begin in some woman. Somebody will say, I'll pay the price. I don't care what people think. I don't care what people think. I'll pray and I'll have a burden and I'll spend time in prayer so I can see the hand of God move one more time. A cursed thing. Thus and thus. Listen. Did God know what was going on? Go on over to, to verse number. Look what happened. Verse 24. Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan the son of Zerah and the silver, the garment, and the wedge of gold. And his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his asses, his sheep, his tent. His tent's his home. That's his home. And brought them into the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why hast thou troubled us? Why'd you do that sin in our church? Why'd you do that sin in this Christian community? And he said, The Lord shall trouble thee this day. And all Israel stoned him with stones and burned them with fire. They had stoned them with stones. He lost his children, sons and daughters. Lost his wealth, lost his cattle, lost his sheep, lost his home. Because he didn't get honest with God. 
Real revival comes from men and women that will pay the price to say, I want nothing that I want any more than to be right with you. Nothing between my soul and my Savior. I remember that same meeting. When that meeting broke open that night, we tried to, that's the last night of the two-week meeting. I went back home. Pastor Bobby Utley called me on Sunday morning. And he said, Ralph, he said, can you come back down to Kannapolis tonight and let's keep going another week? I said, Brother Bobby, I came. I'm supposed to be in Virginia, start a revival there tomorrow. And he said, I don't know what to do. He said, we've tried to have church for an hour and a half. He said, we can't get out of Sunday school. They're in the floor. They're praying in the choir. He said, they're getting right. They're going to get their neighbor. Neighbor's getting saved. And then I, I, I said, well, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'm going to keep my word. If I tell a pastor I'll be there, if I'm humanly possible, I'll be there. But I said, let me call the pastor and tell him. That pastor, I said, brother, I, all I know to tell you. And I said, this is what's going on. Yeah, this is what's happening. He said, son, he said, if God's moving like that, he said, you get in your car, you head back down there, I'm going to load up my church bus, we'll be there Monday night. <laughs> well, he's a man of faith. And so we went on, and, 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 and that week at Brother Utley's church, people's getting saved, people's getting right, and they all worked up at Cannon Mill. Most of the, those families were worked at the mill. And those men started praying at lunch break for their lost co-workers. And so they said, let's go to the fan room and pray. It's cooler. We'll get in the fan room. And they started praying. But what they didn't realize, those big old circulation fans were sucking all them prayers all over that, all over that big cannon mills. And it's like a loudspeaker. All them prayers is filling down by the loom and out in the knitting room, everything. And, and they'd come out from the prayer meeting. They'd be laying in the floor down by the loom. It'd be throwing cotton everywhere. And nobody running the machine. And it's getting saved. And God, you know why? Because somebody got cleaned before God and say, God, we're going to give it all to you. We can't bring revival. We can't produce revival. We, but God, we can give you us. And if you can use us, then God, we're available. But whatever it takes, God, clean us up. And boy, they began to pray and began to seek the Lord. And guess what happened? I came by Ms. Utley. She would fix me some lunch. And I went over there Thursday to, to grab a sandwich and get some sweet tea. I left the hotel and I went over there. And when I got there, the church parking lot was full. And, and the, these men were coming out of the church building. And they were carrying the walls of the church out in the parking lot. And I drove up and I said, boys, what are y'all doing? Said, we're taking the walls out of the church. Said, this is the wall of the nursery. It's the wall of the office. Said, this is the wall of the back. Said, we're carrying them out. I said, did y'all talk to the building committee about this? And they said, no, but God told the preacher to take the walls out. We're taking them out. And I, I went and they said, we borrowed 500 chairs from a nursing home. And Brother Larry, they filled up those rooms with those borrowed chairs. And that night they filled those chairs up and people was hanging in the windows. 
couldn't get in. And, and you know what? People was getting right. They was going up on the mountain. They was praying all night. They was praying at the meal. And then so they started the next week, and the mamas had tucked the babies in the bed, and the daddies had stay and pray. Then the next night, the daddies would tuck the babies in the bed, and the mamas would stay and pray. And they began to get contagious with that prayer and that burden for revival. And then uh, the, I said, uh, I called Dad, and I said, Pop, I don't know what to do. We've outgrown the tabernacle. We've outgrown the church. They're tearing the walls out. This man, poor man, ain't going to have a church. And uh, he said, well, you want to borrow the tent? And that was the birth of the tent ministry. And we went that night, drove the trucks up, bought the tent down, put it down in a big field down on the four-lane highway. And we went for seven more weeks under that tent. People getting right with God. Fourteen weeks, people praying, getting saved. We're getting right with the Lord. And one of those precious memories was a sweet lady. Her daughter, her granddaughter, was just in service with me. And I, I'll never forget, her, as we were praying, that we'd try to have the choir sing, and you couldn't start the song. People would fill up the altar. And the pastor of the First Baptist Church he was directing traffic. That's right. He said, I pastor the biggest church. I got the biggest congregation. And he said, I've never been in this. I don't want to mess it up. Let me just direct traffic. <laughs> and he did with, a with an humble heart, a tender heart. And all of a sudden, they're out there. People are coming in. And at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, they're filling up. Four o'clock, five o'clock, couldn't find a seat, sitting outside on chairs, tailgate, people getting right. And you know what? The excitement of that was that as God began to move, you begin to hear all these unusual testimonies. That's not you, not me, not Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, but it's God. There was a lady down at Lake Wiley in a beautiful lake house, and she had been under a burden, and only her and God knew that she was burdened over her teenage children. They were being lured by the world. They, they were blessed financially. And she said, I'm going to lose my children. I'm going to lose my precious daughter. She's beautiful like a model. I'm going to lose my baby. I'm going to lose my son. He's, he's caught up in the world. And God had blessed them financially. There's nothing wrong with being blessed. But sometimes if for our children it can be almost a downfall if it's not managed by the Holy Spirit of God. And she'd been praying and fasting for God to reach her children. And she was cooking supper at Lake Wiley. That's down the interstate. And all of a sudden, she went, Oh, oh, sweet Jesus. Oh, and she cut the stove off. Children, children, uh, get, get in the car. What's the matter, Mom? I don't know, but we got to get in the car. Get in the car. Get in the car. And they got in that big Lincoln automobile, and they started up the interstate, and the mama's praying, Mama, what's going on? You're scaring us. You're mumbling. What's happening? I'm not mumbling. I'm not mumbling. I'm praying. I don't know. Uh, just something grabbed me while I was cooking supper, children. And I, we're supposed oh, what's this next thing? Get off. I'm supposed to get off right here. And I, what, Mama? said, I don't know, but look, there's a bunch of people over there. See that big tent? I'm going over and ask that man what's going on. And she went over there, pulled in the parking lot, hit the button, that big window dropped down, and she's talking to the pastor of the First Baptist and said, Sir, I was cooking supper at Lake Wiley, and something told me to get in the car. And I drove up the interstate. Something told me to get off the interstate. 
and something told me to drive over here. Sir, can you tell me what's going on? He said, ma'am, you're at the right place at the right time. Said, this is what God's been doing. Said, God's been saving people. God's been bringing people in from other states. And about that time, the back door of that Lincoln opened up, and that 17-year-old girl jumped out and said, My God, Mama, I'm lost. Oh, Mama, I don't want to go to hell. And started running in under that tent. And boy, you know what God did? God saved her baby that night and changed that family. It's not you. It's not me. It's the power of God we need. Back on the land. It can only come when God's people get their tears back, get their burden back, get their desire back to see God. God's not going to take you in the parking lot of this tent, tie you to the bumper of that F-150 and say, you've got to have revival. God will, though, fill you if you'll seek Him. Humble yourself. Seek His face and say, God, more than I want to live, more than I want to breathe, I want your power on my life. And God will make that happen in your life. And that same night, God was moving in a powerful way. And we had so many people. I pulled up under the tent, uh, to the side of the tent that same night. Brother Horn was praying with that family in the Lincoln on this side of the tent. I pulled up on the other side of the tent. I stepped out of the car. And there's a fellow pulled up beside me in a brand new Chevrolet. And I stepped out of the car. I laid my top coat on the car and my Bible on the top. I looked over the top of the car and I said, Hey, buddy, how are you? He said, I'm fine. I said, it's good to see you. He said, yes, sir, it's my first night. Oh, God. And I went, what happened? I walked around the car, and he's down at the, uh, beside his car, and he's using his running board for an altar, begging God to save him. And we, he hadn't even got under the tent yet. But, but when God's moving on people's hearts, that's not you, that's not me. That's the convicting power of God that's laying on a place. And boy, don't you want to see it that you know it's not a man. It's not a building. It's not a church. It's not a personality. You don't have to have anybody. But we've got to have God. And we've got to get back to that desperation and that brokenness before the Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, tonight, as I think about what God's challenged your pastor and your burden, we're in spiritual warfare. We're no match for it. Well, how are we going to do the battle? 2 Chronicles 7, 12, 13, 14. And then, how do I get there? That last part where it said, not only do I pray, not only do I seek His face, but I turn. And how do I turn? I get clean. I get clean. Have you been fussing with your husband? You say, you ain't married to him. Well, bless God, I didn't pick him out either. Do you, do you know, did you know the Holy Ghost knows when we fuss and fight at the house and then and get so mad we won't speak to each other at the, at the house? You, you, and, and tell the poor little kids, tell your mama to pass the salt. <laughs> poor little babies. Tell your daddy if he wants the salt, tell Tarzan to swing on down here and get it. 
Huh? Right? Let's just be honest, church. It's easy to get fuss. And then be so mad, won't even speak to each other. Then ride up, ride up to the right up to the church parking lot. Get out of the car and the pastor's walking by. Honey, there's the pastor. Good morning, Pastor. Good to see you. <laughs> Darling, it's good to see it. Oh yes, honey, yes, you're right. First time y'all spoke in two weeks, right there. You want revival? Starts at the house. Well, when it breaks out, our children will know. <laughs> our kids will know. That Canapolis meeting that night, then we went on in next week, and there's a little old boy. Kim, he's sort of like your boys every night. Oh, they that little little the preacher. Little preacher. And this little guy, he's about five, maybe six years old. Every night he'd come by and he'd have his handkerchief and he'd have his Bible. And he'd say, I, I like your preaching, preacher. And I'd say, thank you, buddy. Thank you for being here. He said, will you, will you eat salt and pepper flounder with me next week? And every night he'd say, can I take you to the fish camp? And I'd say, well, I'd put him off. I'd put him off. Because he was in the burden of that meeting. Sometimes I wasn't eating, you know. And he's saying, he wanted to take me to the fish camp. He thought that'd be the big deal. So the next week I said, I tell you what I'll do. Well, that breakthrough was on that Thursday night of that tent meeting. And so the next night, I'd already told him, I'll meet you for flounder at the fish camp. When I pulled up the fish camp, he was standing by the bumper of his daddy's truck with his little jacket and tie on. He was looking for me. And I, I pulled up and he ran over there. He said, will you sit beside me? I said, you know I will. I said, are you going to pay the bill? He said, no, but daddy is. <laughs> and he got my hand and we started walking together. And his daddy said, He said, tell the preacher what happened at the tent meeting last night. He said, preacher, preacher. He stopped me. He turned me around. Preacher, did you, last night at the tent meeting, he did this little number. He said, God showed up. <laughs> he didn't mention me. He didn't mention the choir. He didn't mention Baptist. He mentioned God Almighty. That little boy knew the power of God. And he said, God showed up. And ladies and gentlemen, that's what we want to see. We want God to show up and your kids to go home and say, boy, God met with us. Where does it start? If my people, which are called by my name, and that same night, that same week, Leona Barnett was in the service. And Leona and her husband were with us at the Brush Arbor meeting. Leona and her husband were over at Brother Utley's church for those two weeks. And they had not missed one night under that tent. Her husband had been stricken with polio and he had those braces up his arms and he'd have to walk in and swing, swing his body. And every night, 
They always sat on the right-hand side, brought two little lawn chairs. They were all there about 4 o'clock. Came early. And if I had to pick a saint of God in that community, I'd have picked Leona Barnett. Because every night, every other night, she'd bring me a coconut cake <laughs> or a pound cake or a lemon meringue pie. Man, she knew what it takes to have revival. <laughs> Keep that preacher going. Boy, she'd, she'd just spoil me. And if I, snow white hair, if I, had, if I had to pick a saint, that'd been Leona. I mean, she's so tender, her and her husband. Every night. And that night that fella got saved. That night that woman's daughter got saved. That night that fella got saved over here by my car. Power of God was real that night. We, I mean, you, it, it's all evening people getting saved. And there was a burden. I'm afraid to tell some of this because I've only told it two or three times. It's almost sacred to me. Squire wrote a song about it. As a little girl came, her mama was hooked on drugs. She, she was in bad shape. She had been in and out of rehab. And we were talking about closing the tent meeting on that Friday night. And that the finances and everything is involved. And God's been doing miraculous things. And that woman that was a drug addict, her, her mother... And this little girl came to the altar, prayed for the mom on drugs who was not in the service. And the mother, this little girl's grandmother, they're in that altar praying. And when they got through praying, that little barefoot girl walked over to me. And she, you remember what she had in her hand? Had five little pennies. That's exactly right. Sacred ground boy. And she said, preacher Ralph said, don't stop the tent meeting until my mama gets saved. <laughs> and she gave those five pennies that financed the rest of the meeting right there. I'd have sold my house <laughs> to stay in there. Boy, the God got her mama. And you know what happened? God, the next night, her mama came. And that is people, a wave of folks getting in, people getting right with God. And I looked over there, and that little girl, she was on top of somebody's back. I mean, I don't mean her feet was touching the ground. I mean, she was laying on top of somebody in that altar. And she was crying, little tears running on her face. And it was her mama. Her mama's down there begging God to save her. And that little girl had crawled up on her back and, and begging God to save her. And in that kind of power of God moving, that godly woman, Leona Barnett, she got up and all the colors drained out of her face, snow white. And she came and knelt down that altar. And I said, boy, Leona, somebody's, she's praying for somebody. Uh, she's agonizing for somebody. I don't know who it is. And I walked over there to walk by her to help her pray. And when I walked by, I heard Leona say, God, be merciful to me, a hypocrite. God, I don't want to go to hell off a of church pew. Oh, so much for my discernment. I thought you were a saint. The sweetest person. You know what she testified later that night? Test, you know one way I knew it broke out? Because they testified for an hour and a half. 
They wouldn't go home. They wanted to tell what God had done. That, that girl got in with a little girl hanging on her back. She wanted to tell everybody, I've been changed. And Leona got up and said, I've been in church all my life. And said, my sister went to the altar when she was 12 years old and got saved. And my mom and daddy bought her a new dress. And the pastor was going to baptize her. They had a baptismal Sunday. And daddy took us out to eat. And while we were at lunch, I said, I want a new dress. And I want to go out to eat. And said, two weeks later, I went to the altar and told everybody I got saved. She said, I'm 72. That was 60 years ago. And I've been playing church for 60 years. I taught Sunday school, sang in the choir, church secretary on the mission board of our church for 60 years. And I said, Leona, didn't the Holy Ghost get a hold of you? She said, oh, yeah. Said I'd hold on to the pew and cry because I'd say, what will people think of me? I'm a leader in this church. I've taught Sunday school. I sing in the choir. What will they think of me? And she said, I'd tell him to leave me alone. And she said, tonight he came by my chair. And he said, this is a cursed thing. This thus and thus. He said, it's the last time I'll point it out. He said, I'll never speak to you again. And she went to the altar. And she said, I, I know without a doubt, if God didn't save me tonight, I'd never hear from God again. And she said, I don't care what people think. I want to be saved. One year later, almost to the day, my phone rang in the office. Secretary said, it's Leo, Leona Barnett from Kannapolis. Do you know her? And I said, yes, I do. And I picked up the phone. I said, hello. She said, Brother Ralph, I couldn't wait to call you. I haven't even called my family. You'll never guess what happened to me. I said, what are you so excited about? Why are you so happy, Leona? said, I just left the doctor's office. He said, I got less than six weeks to live. I get to go to heaven before you do. <laughs> she was shouting a victory. And she said, Brother Ralph, what if he had left me sitting in my chair? Let's stand and bow our heads. Ladies and gentlemen, are you hungry for revival? If my people, do you want to come and pray? Find you a place around this platform. Preachers and deacons, and Sunday school teachers, moms and dads. Grandparents, are you praying for one of your babies? Why don't we just mind God tonight? If you're not saved, you're not sure you're saved, why don't you come tonight? Don't let Jesus pass you by. Today's the day of salvation.